Hi, welcome to History's Great Speeches. I'm Charles Featherston, voice artist, narrator and compiler of the series. Please like or subscribe and feel free to contact me via Bandcamp, Podbean, Facebook or Patreon to let me know speeches or time periods you'd like to see covered. You can find a full set of links at my website, charlesfeatherston.uk. Speak of Sedition, Part 3 They are pressing forward, here, there and everywhere, in all the zones that girdle the globe. Everywhere, these awakening workers, these class-conscious proletarians, these hardy sons and daughters of honest toil are proclaiming the glad tidings of the coming emancipation. Everywhere, their hearts are attuned to the most sacred cause that ever challenged men and women to action in all the history of the world. Everywhere, they are moving toward democracy and the dawn, marching toward the sunrise, their faces all aglow with the light of the coming day. These are the socialists, the most zealous and enthusiastic crusaders the world has ever known. They are making history that will light up the horizon of coming generations, for their music is the emancipation of the human race. They have been reviled, they have been ridiculed, persecuted, imprisoned and have suffered death, but they have been sufficient to themselves and their cause, and their final triumph is but a question of time. Do you wish to hasten the day of victory? Join the Socialist Party. Don't wait for the morrow. Join now. Enroll your name without fear and take your place where you belong. You cannot do your duty by proxy. You have got to do it yourself and do it squarely and then as you look yourself in the face, you will have no occasion to blush. You will know what it is to be a real man or woman. You will lose nothing. You will gain everything. Not only will you lose nothing, but you will find something of infinite value, and that something will be yourself. And that is your supreme need, to find yourself, to really know yourself and your purpose in life. You need at this time especially to know that you are fit for something better than slavery and cannon fodder. You need to know that you were not created to work and produce and impoverish yourself to enrich an idle exploiter. You need to know that you have a mind to improve, a soul to develop, and a manhood to sustain. You need to know that it is your duty to rise above the animal plane of existence. You need to know that it is for you to know something about literature and science and art. You need to know that you are verging on the edge of a great new world. You need to get in touch with your comrades and fellow workers and to become conscious of your interests, your powers, and your possibilities as a class. You need to know that as long as you are ignorant, as long as you are indifferent, as long as you are apathetic, unorganised and content, you will remain exactly where you are. You will be exploited, you will be degraded and you will have to beg for a job. You will get just enough for your slavish toil to keep you in working order and you will be looked down upon with scorn and contempt by the very parasites that live and luxuriate out of your sweat and unpaid labour. If you would be respected, you have got to begin by respecting yourself. Stand up squarely and look yourself in the face and see a man. Do not allow yourself to fall into the predicament of the poor fellow who, after he had heard a socialist speech, concluded that he too ought to be a socialist. The argument he had heard was unanswerable. Yes, he said to himself. All the speaker said was true and I certainly ought to join the party. But after a while he allowed his ardour to cool, and he soberly concluded that by joining the party he might anger his boss and lose his job. He then concluded, I can't take the chance. That night he slept alone. 
There was something on his conscience and it resulted in a dreadful dream. Men always have such dreams when they betray themselves. A socialist is free to go to bed with a clear conscience. He goes to sleep with his manhood and he awakens and walks forth in the morning with his self-respect. He is unafraid and he can look the whole world in the face without a tremor and without a blush. But this poor weakling who lacked the courage to do the bidding of his reason and conscience was haunted by a startling dream and at midnight he awoke in terror, bounded from his bed and exclaimed, My God, there is nobody in this room. He was absolutely right. There was nobody in that room. How would you like to sleep in a room that had nobody in it? It is an awful thing to be nobody. That is certainly a state of mind to get out of. The sooner, the better. There is a great deal of hope for Baker, Rutenberg and Wagenknecht, who are in jail for their convictions. But for the fellow that is nobody, there is no pardoning power. He is in for life. Anybody can be nobody, but it takes a man to be somebody. To turn your back on the corrupt Republican Party and the still more corrupt Democratic Party, the gold dust lackeys of the ruling class counts for still more after you have stepped out of those popular and corrupt capitalist parties. To join a minority party that has an ideal, that stands for a principle and fights for a cause. This will be the most important change you have ever made and the time will come when you will thank me for having made the suggestion. It was the day of days for me. I remember it well. It was like passing from midnight darkness to the noontide light of day. It came almost like a flash and found me ready. It must have been in such a flash that great seething, throbbing Russia, prepared by centuries of slavery and tears and martyrdom, was transformed from a dark continent to a land of living light. There is something splendid, something sustaining and inspiring in the prompting of the heart to be true to yourself and to the best you know, especially in a crucial hour of your life. You are in the crucible today, my socialist comrades. You are going to be tried by fire, to what extent no one knows. If you are weak-fibred and faint-hearted, you will be lost to the socialist movement. We will have to bid you goodbye. You are not the stuff of which revolutions are made. We are sorry for you unless you chance to be an intellectual. The intellectuals, many of them, are already gone. No loss on our side nor gain on the other. I am always amused in the discussion of the intellectual phase of this question. It is the same old standard under which the rank and file are judged. What would become of the sheep if they had no shepherd to lead them out of the wilderness into the land of milk and honey? Oh yes, I am your shepherd and ye are my mutton. They would have us believe that if we had no intellectuals, we would have no movement. They would have our party, the rank and file, controlled by the intellectual bosses as the Republican and Democratic parties are controlled. These capitalist parties are managed by intellectual leaders and the rank and file are sheep that follow the bellwether to the shambles. In the Republican and Democratic parties, you of the common herd are not expected to think. That is not only unnecessary, but might lead you astray. That is what the intellectual leaders are for. They do the thinking and you do the voting. They ride in carriages at the front where the band plays and you tramp in the mud, bringing up the rear with great enthusiasm. The capitalist system affects to have great regard and reward for intellect and the capitalists give themselves full credit for having superior brains. When we have ventured to say that the time would come when the working class would rule, they have bluntly answered, never, it requires brains to rule.
the workers of course have none, and they certainly try hard to prove it by proudly supporting the political parties of their masters under whose administration they are kept in poverty and servitude. The government is now operating its railroads for the more effective prosecution of the war. Private ownership has broken down utterly and the government has had to come to the rescue. We have always said that the people ought to own the railroads and operate them for the benefit of the people. We advocated that 20 years ago. But the capitalists and their henchmen emphatically objected. You have got to have brains to run the railroads, they tauntingly retorted. Well, the other day, Macadou, the governor-general of the railroads under government operation, discharged all the high-salaried presidents and other supernumeraries. In other words, he fired the brains bodily, and yet all the trains have been coming and going on scheduled time. Have you noticed any change for the worse since the brains are gone? It is a brainless system now, being operated by hands, but a good deal more efficiently than it had been operated by so-called brains before. And this determines infallibly the quality of their vaunted, high-priced capitalist brains. It is the kind you can get at a reasonable figure at the market price. They have always given themselves credit for having superior brains and given this as the reason for the supremacy of their class. It is true that they have the brains that indicates the cunning of the fox, the wolf, but as for brains denoting real intelligence and the measure of intellectual capacity, they are the most woefully ignorant people on earth. Give me a hundred capitalists just as you find them here in Ohio and let me ask them a dozen simple questions about the history of their own country and I will prove to you that they are as ignorant and unlettered as any you may find in the so-called lower class. They know little of history, they are strangers to science, they are ignorant of sociology and blind to art, but they know how to exploit, how to gouge, how to rob and do it with legal sanction. They always proceed legally for the reason that the class which has the power to rob upon a large scale has also the power to control the government and legalise their robbery. I regret that lack of time prevents me from discussing this phase of the question more at length. They are continually talking about your patriotic duty. It is not there, but your patriotic duty that they are concerned about. There is a decided difference. Their patriotic duty never takes them to the firing line or chucks them into the trenches. And now, among other things, they are urging you to cultivate war gardens, while at the same time a government war report just issued shows that practically 52% of the arable, tillable soil is held out of use by the landlords, speculators and profiteers. They themselves do not cultivate the soil. They could not if they would. Neither do they allow others to cultivate it. They keep it idle to enrich themselves, to pocket the millions of dollars of unearned increment. Who is it that makes this land valuable while it is fenced in and kept out of use? It is the people. Who pockets this tremendous accumulation of value? The landlords. And these landlords who toil not and spin not are supreme among American patriots. In passing, I suggest that we stop a moment to think about the term landlord. Landlord. Lord of the land. The lord of the land is indeed a super patriot. This lord who practically owns the earth tells you that we are fighting this war to make the world safe for democracy. He who shuts out all humanity from his private domain. He who profiteers at the expense of the people who have been slain and mutilated by multiplied thousands under pretense of being the great American patriot. 
It is he, this identical patriot, who is in fact the archenemy of the people. It is he that you need to wipe from power. It is he who is a far greater menace to your liberty and your well-being than the Prussian youngers on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. 52% of the land kept out of use, according to their own figures. They tell you that there is an alarming shortage of flour and that you need to produce more. They tell you further that you have got to save wheat so that more can be exported for the soldiers who are fighting on the other side, while half of your tillable soil is held out of use by the landlords and profiteers. What do you think of that? Again, they tell you that there is a coal famine now in the state of Ohio. The state of Indiana, where I live, is largely underlaid with coal, and there is practically an inexhaustible supply. The coal is banked beneath our very feet. It is within touch all about us, all we can possibly use and more. And here are the miners ready to enter the mines. Here is the machinery ready to be put into operation to increase the output to any desired capacity. And three weeks ago, a national officer of the United Mine Workers issued and published a statement to the Labour Department of the United States government to the effect that the 600,000 coal miners in the United States at this time, when they talk about a coal famine, are not permitted to work more than half time. I have been around over Indiana for many years. I have often been in the coal fields. Again and again I have seen the miners idle while at the same time there was a scarcity of coal. They tell you that you ought to buy your coal right away, that you may freeze next winter if you do not. At the same time, they charge you three prices for your coal. Oh yes, this ought to suit you perfectly if you vote the Republican or Democratic ticket and believe in the private ownership of the coal mines and their operation for private profit. The coal mines now being privately owned, the operators want a scarcity of coal so they can boost their prices and enrich themselves accordingly. If an abundance of coal were mined, there would be lower prices and this would not suit the mine owners. Prices soar and profits increase when there is a scarcity of coal. It is also apparent that there is collusion between the mine owners and the railroads. The mine owners declare there are no cars while the railroad men insist that there is no coal and between them they delude, defraud and rob the people. Let us illustrate a vital point. Here is the coal in great deposits all about us. Here are the miners and the machinery of production. Why should there be a coal famine upon the one hand and an army of idle and hungry miners on the other hand? Is it not an incredibly stupid situation, an almost idiotic if not criminal state of affairs? We socialists say, take possession of the mines in the name of the people. Set the miners at work and give every miner the equivalent of all the coal he produces. Reduce the workday in proportion to the development of productive machinery. That would at once settle the matter of a coal famine and of idle miners. But that is too simple a proposition and the people will have none of it. The time will come, however, when the people will be driven to take such action, for there is no other efficient and permanent solution of the problem. In the present system, the miner, a wage slave, gets down into a pit 300 or 400 feet deep, he works hard and produces a ton of coal, but he does not own an ounce of it. That coal belongs to some mine-owning plutocrat who may be in New York or sailing the high seas in his private yacht. Or he may be hobnobbing with royalty in the capitals of Europe, and that is where most of them were before the war was declared. 
the industrial captain, so-called, who lives in Paris, London, Vienna, or some other centre of gaiety, does not have to work to revel in luxury. He owns the mines, and he might as well own the miners. That is where you workers are, and where you will remain as long as you give your support to the political parties of your masters and exploiters. You vote these miners out of a job and reduce them to corporation vassals and paupers. We socialists say, take possession of the mines, call the miner to work and return to him the equivalent of the value of his product. He can then build himself a comfortable home, live in it, enjoy it with his family. He can provide himself and his wife and children with clothes, good clothes, not shoddy, wholesome food in abundance, education for the children, and the chance to live the lives of civilised human beings, while at the same time the people will get coal at just what it costs to mine it. Of course, that would be socialism as far as it goes. But you are not in favour of that programme. It is too visionary because it is so simple and practical. So you will have to continue to wait until winter is upon you before you get your coal and then pay three prices for it because you insist upon voting a capitalist ticket and giving your support to the present wage-slave system. The trouble with you is that you are still in a capitalist state of mind. Lincoln said, if you want that thing, that is the thing you want and you will get it to your heart's content. But some good day you will wake up and realise that a change is needed and wonder why you did not know it long before. Yes, a change is certainly needed, not merely a change of party but a change of system, a change from slavery to freedom and from despotism to democracy, wide as the world. When this change comes at last, we shall rise from brutehood to brotherhood and to accomplish it we have to educate and organise the workers industrially and politically, but not along the zigzag craft lines laid down by Gompers, who through all of his career has favoured the master class. You never hear the capitalist press speak of him nowadays except in praise and adulation. He has recently come into great prominence as a patriot. You never find him on the unpopular side of a great issue. He is always conservative, satisfied to leave the labour problem to be settled finally at the banqueting board with Elihu Root, Andrew Carnegie and the rest of the plutocratic civic federationists. When they drink wine and smoke scab cigars together, the labour question is settled so far as they are concerned. And while they are praising Gompers, they are denouncing the IWW. There are few men who have the courage to say a word in favour of the IWW. I have. Let me say here that I have great respect for the IWW, far greater than I have for their infamous detractors. Listen, there has just been published a pamphlet called The Truth About the IWW. It has been issued after long and thorough investigation by five men of unquestioned standing in the capitalist world. At the head of these investigators was Professor John Graham Brooks of Harvard University, and next to him, John A. Fish of the Survey of the Religious Organisations of Pittsburgh and Mr. Brewer, the government investigator. Five of these prominent men conducted an impartial examination of the IWW. To quote their own words, they followed its trail. They examined into its doings beginning at Bisbee where the patriots, the cowardly businessmen, the arch-criminals, made up the mob that deported 1,200 working men under the most brutal conditions charging them with being members of the IWW when they knew it to be false. 
It is only necessary to label a man IWW to have him lynched as they did Prager, an absolutely innocent man. He was a socialist and bore a German name, and that was his crime. A rumour was started that he was disloyal, and he was promptly seized and lynched by the cowardly mob of so-called patriots. War makes possible all such crimes and outrages. And war comes in spite of the people. When Wall Street says war, the press says war, and the pulpit promptly follows with its amen. In every age, the pulpit has been on the side of the rulers and not on the side of the people. That is one reason why the preachers so fiercely denounce the IWW. Take the time to read this pamphlet about the IWW. Don't take the word of Wall Street and its press as final. Read this report by five impartial and highly reputable men who made their investigation to know the truth and that they might tell the truth to the American people. They declare that the IWW in all its career never committed as much violence against the ruling class as the ruling class has committed against the IWW. You are not now reading any reports in the daily press about the trial at Chicago, are you? They used to publish extensive reports when the trial first began and to prate about what they proposed to prove against the IWW as a gigantic conspiracy against the government. The trial has continued until they have exhausted all their testimony and they have not yet proven violence in a single instance. No, not one. They are utterly without incriminating testimony, and yet 112 men are in the dock after lying in jail for months without the shadow of a crime upon them, save that of belonging to the IWW. That is enough, it would seem, to convict any man of any crime and send his body to prison and his soul to hell. Just whisper the name of the IWW and you are branded as a disloyalist. And the reason for this is wholly to the credit of the IWW, for whatever may be charged against it, the IWW has always fought for the bottom dog. And that is why Haywood is despised and prosecuted while Gompers is lauded and glorified by the same gang. Now what you workers need is to organise, not along craft lines, but along revolutionary industrial lines. All of you workers in a given industry, regardless of your trade or occupation, should belong to one and the same union. Political action and industrial action must supplement and sustain each other. You will never vote the Socialist Republic into existence. You will have to lay its foundation in industrial organisation. The Industrial Union is the forerunner of industrial democracy. In the shop where the workers are associated is where industrial democracy has its beginning. Organise according to your industries. Get together in every department of industrial service. United and acting together for the common good, your power is invincible. When you have organised industrially, you will soon learn that you can manage as well as operate industry. You will soon realise that you do not need the idle masters and exploiters. They are simply parasites. They do not employ you as you imagine, but you employ them to take from you what you produce, and that is how they function in industry. You can certainly dispense with them in that capacity. You do not need them to depend upon for your jobs. You can never be free while you work and live by their sufferance. You must own your own tools, and then you will control your own jobs, enjoy the products of your own labour, and be free men instead of industrial slaves. Organise industrially and make your organisation complete. Then unite in the Socialist Party. Vote as you strike and strike as you vote.
Your union and your party embrace the working class. The Socialist Party expresses the interests, hopes and aspirations of the toilers of all the world. Get your fellow workers into the industrial union and the political party to which they rightly belong, especially this year, this historic year, in which the forces of labour will assert themselves as they never have before. This is the year that calls for men and women who have courage, the manhood and womanhood, to do their duty. Get into the Socialist Party and take your place in its ranks. Help to inspire the weak and strengthen the faltering, and do your share to speed the coming of the brighter and better day for us all. When we unite and act together on the industrial field, and when we vote together on election day, we shall develop the supreme power of the one class that can and will bring permanent peace to the world. We shall then have the intelligence, the courage and the power for our great task. In due time, industry will be organised on a cooperative basis. We shall conquer the public power. We shall then transfer the title deeds of the railroads, the telegraph lines, the mines, mills and great industries to the people in their collective capacity. We shall take possession of all these social utilities in the name of the people. We shall then have industrial democracy. We shall be a free nation whose government is of and by and for the people. And now for all of us to do our duty. The clarion call is ringing in our ears and we cannot falter without being convicted of treason to ourselves and to our great cause. Do not worry over the charge of treason to your masters, but be concerned about the treason that involves yourselves. Be true to yourself and you cannot be a traitor to any good cause on earth. Yes, in good time we are going to sweep into power in this nation and throughout the world. We are going to destroy all enslaving and degrading capitalist institutions and recreate them as free and humanising institutions. The world is daily changing before our eyes. The sun of capitalism is setting. The sun of socialism is rising. It is our duty to build the new nation and the free republic. We need industrial and social builders. We socialists are the builders of the beautiful world that is to be. We are all pledged to do our part. We are inviting, I challenging you this afternoon, in the name of your own manhood and womanhood, to join us and do your part. In due time the hour will strike, and this great cause triumphant, the greatest in history, will proclaim the emancipation of the working class and the brotherhood of all mankind.